Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Sing Welcome to the Traverse City Church of Christ. If you're visiting today, we ask that you fill out a yellow card so we have reference of your attendance, and we're so thankful that you have chosen the Traverse City Church of Christ to come and to worship the Lord. With that, let's go to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your awesomeness, your great creation, your blessings, your, your love for us as you loved us long before we knew you. We are so thankful that you have forgiven us of our sinful ways and that you allow us to be part of your church. Help us to walk a life that is worthy of this calling. We ask, Lord, that you help us to be slow to make decisions to go to you in prayer and help us to be wise through our life, to help be wise to, enough to know how to introduce your son to others. This world so needs to know. We're so thankful that someday that somebody came to us and introduced us to your son. Help us to live a life that's worthy of that. We thank you for all the blessings of life and we ask that you accept our worship as we go through this hour, as it be pleasing to you. We're so thankful for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's in his holy and precious name we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Number 490, It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my heart thou hast taught me to
Pick up a songbook and turn to page 536. <clears throat> and we're going to stand and sing 536, 537, and 538, the verses with the dots. <clears throat> All right, so let's stand and sing. 536. 537, 538, verses with a dot. Oh, hang on. I'm sorry. 537 is where we're starting. 536 is a fake page number. <clears throat> here we are, but straying pilgrims here. Our path is often dim. But to cheer us on our journey still, we sing this wayside hymn. Yonder over the rolling river where the shining mansions rise. Soon we'll be our home forever. The smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our longing eyes. Here our feet are often weary on the hills that throng our way. Here the tempest darkly gathers, but our hearts within us say, Yonder over the rolling river where the shining mansions rise, soon will be our home forever. And the smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our longing eyes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on to scale the utmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright but still I'll pray till heaven I've found Lord lead me on to higher ground Lord lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table Please be seated. 
Before the Lord's Supper this morning, we're going to sing Oft We Come Together, and this is not in the book. Oft we come together, oft we sing and for the feast, I'll be reading from Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 22 through 26. Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 22 through 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Telling, Truly I tell you the truth, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we gather around this table and remember the life of your Son, the sacrifice for our sins, and we humbly stand before you and thank you and give you praise for his life. We ask that as we prepare our minds to take the bread, that we do so in a way that is pleasing to you, that we do so, Lord, in full memory of what we understand is your son's life. Again, we'll give you our thanks and we'll give you our praise for your son's name. Amen. Amen.
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For Christ's loves, com life loves compels us because we are conv convinced that one died for all. Then therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who should live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one as from a holy or worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled him, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And through God, we were making... His appeal through us, we're imploring you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to thank you for. That reconciliation that was talked about is removing the sins from our life. The sins, Lord, that we commit now and the sins in the future, that we have the hope of forgiveness through your Son as he gave his life and redemption for those sins, once for all. We give you praise, Father, for the blood and the cup that we it represents. We give you praise, Father, for the life that it washes and gives us anew. We give you praise, Father, for this plan in your Son. And through his name, we give you our thanks. Amen.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize in our life the great blessings that you bestowed on us. Each and every day, each and every breath, each and every moment in our lives, Lord, is a blessing from you. We look around us and we realize that we're in a great country, that we have an ability to gather together in, in a fashion of unmolested worship in your, in your name and your place. Father, as we gather together, we pray that we're your servants holy and truly as we leave this place, that you watch over the monies that we put in the collection plate today, that it goes to good use in a way that would be wise and worthy of your praise. Again, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for those blessings of your son's name. Amen. Amen. The song before the lesson today will be 843, God Give Us Christian Homes. <clears throat> God give us Christian homes, homes where the Bible is loved and taught, homes where the Master's will is sought, homes crowned with beauty thy love hath God give us Christian homes. God give us Christian homes. God give us Christian homes. Homes where the Father is true and strong. Homes that are free from the Today I'll be reading Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. Now when Jesus had, finally, had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee, Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and, set, and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. I would say good morning to, it looks like, about half the church. There are many that are gone. There are many that are sick today. But we're thrilled that you are here today, and I pray that the things that we will discuss will be that which will cause us to have a closer walk with God. I have to sort of get into my... Uh, certain voice that I have when I say, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here this day. Now admit it, you know what the rest of that is. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know that's it's time on our tradition to say, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here this day. We can almost hear those words that ring in our voice that talk about, Do you take and do you take and with this ring I thee wed. All of the things that that is said during the wedding ceremony. We see on those special wedding days when, as the song says, the Pierre does truly love the Mademoiselle, taking a song from over 50 years ago. There's a side that when you're a, not the participant of the wedding, but the one who is viewing it, there's a side of us that says, we really do wish them well. We wish that they will have all the happiness in the world. That's the one that sits on this shoulder and talks. The one that sits on this shoulder and talks says, boy, they've got a long road ahead of them. They have a lot of fights. They have a lot of disagreements. They have a lot of things that they will never agree on. Then we come back to that side that says, we really do wish you well. A side that says it hopes against all odds that they will be as God had intended them to be in Scripture. And that's rather tough to see in this day and age, not just in America, but around the world. And I'm going to refrain from throwing a lot of statistics at you because you know them all, don't you? You know the statistics about marriage in our culture today. I told Janine I was going to relate the conversation that we had about this sermon. I said, I'm going to talk about marriage today. It's going to be a hard-hitting sermon. And there's a lot of things that you're going to have to change to do better. And it's at that point that you say, no, 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 no. It's not her that has a lot of changing to do. It's me that has a lot of changing to do. And that's true. That is absolutely true. I suspected that you would know where I was going with that. But I have three quotes that come to mind when I talk about marriage and the planning of it. So bear with me as I quote these three that I often think of. The first says, sadly, too many will spend more time planning their wedding than they do planning their marriage. Take a deep breath and think about that. Number two, too many women marry hoping they will change the man. And men marry the woman hoping that she will never change. And finally, too many men play at love hoping to find sex. And too many women play at sex hoping to find love. Pardon me if that last one is a little crass, but it is, there is a grain of truth to that. 
When you think of all of those, all three of those, it is a reflection on the state of marriage, unfortunately. But our context today comes from Matthew chapter 19. And in our daily Bible reading, and I want to hope and think that all of us are participating in that on a daily basis, we are now in the book of Matthew, as I understand that Donato will be beginning the book of Matthew in your study, but we're already well into the book of Matthew. But a reading from last Monday was Matthew chapter 19. And the emphasis in the reading dealt a lot with the ravages of divorce. And that's typically people want to fix the things that are wrong. However, even as the Pharisees wanted to ask Janine that pointed question to test him, to try him, to see what is your answer to this? Why did Moses allow this? Jesus turns the tables. But in our lesson today, we're going to concentrate and be proactive in our look at marriage. We're not going to try to tell how to fix what is broken, but what if we started to teach about what a true marriage is all about, and Jesus gives that template that was from the beginning. I'll use an example that perhaps we can relate to. It is like the one who has bought a car, man or woman, and the car is taken back to the dealership after some time, after it has been abused, and, and asked the dealership, why is my car worn out? And the dealer, with all the love that he can muster and patience, says, did you read the owner's manual before you ever turned the key? When you took it home, did you sit down and read it through the entire manual? And these days, the manuals are rather thick, but they give you everything you need to know on how to maintain that car. And did you, after every trip that went out into the rain, that you parked it back in the garage and wiped it down completely dry and tenderly cared for it inside and out? And after every snowfall, which I believe we're expecting today, but I'm digressing that. After every snowfall, when that salt gets in there, did you rinse that off to make sure that there was nothing that was going to corrode? And on the inside, after those hot, sunny days of driving around, did you go and wipe it clean? and vacuum, polish everything? And of course the answer is, unless you are absolutely a car buff, is no I didn't. I took it from the car lot and drove it as hard as I could and fast as I could, and I always went extra time on my oil changes. And no I didn't want, you did not care for it tenderly. So it is with the marriage. I wonder if we have read the owner's manual on what makes for a good marriage. And parents, when is the best time to start teaching your children about marriage? Wait till the week before they get married, right? No, we know that. When is the time to start praying for the mate that your child is going to have? When they start dating, from before they are born. So in looking at being proactive in this, we'll look at what Jesus said, and it's only one verse that we will look at today. You see, now we're not going to worry about trying to fix what is broken. You see, what Jesus is going to tell them isn't something that just pertained to the Jews. Wasn't something that just pertained to the Israelites who received the law or the Hebrews before that, but something that goes all the way back to the beginning. For he says, in the beginning, and there is our template, because Jesus quotes, really, he's quoting himself. He's known as the Word. He's quoting himself. This is how it was at the beginning. This is how I intended marriage to be. And so when we look at this, we'll say, 
Well, that's hard because now we're living in a what we call the Western world. And how does this apply to South America or Africa or the Far East or Europe? It applies everywhere because it is from the beginning. So we wipe the slate clean and look at how God intended this to be. For he says, from the beginning. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I often think in my own mind when he said these words to Adam, and Adam said, what's a father and mother? Who am I going to leave? But he set the model here for this. We may think of our times as one of great turmoil as it pertains to the sacred, sacred state of marriage, but it has always been under attack. But there are seven things within this one verse that we can glean of what God really desires the marriage to be from the very beginning. If you have a bulletin, you'll see that these are broken down for you. And there are spaces for you to fill out. You think, well, I'm not married. If you're a child, you're not married. But this is something to think about. You think, well, I've already been married for a while. There is something for everyone here. Because even if you're not married, or you know someone who is, or is going to be married, these are things that you can impress upon them. For it starts out that a man... And marriage is not for the immature. Marriage is for the mature who have thought about it. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You see, marriage is not for the immature. I sat in on a lesson one time in which the, the speaker said, in talking to a marriage counselor, he was told, a marriage can withstand one immature and selfish person. And often does. But almost no marriage will last when both are immature and selfish. You see, one must enter into marriage thinking in a mature way and not immature. And not selfish in thinking, it's my way, this is my house. No longer thinking as one individual, but as two becoming one. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far away. Solomon knew that there was a difference between the child and the adult. And that marriage takes mature thinking in order to last. We must leave that childhood way that we once had, in which we ran free and did what we wanted. We must begin to think in terms of us and not just me. And marriage, point number two, is about transition when it says a man shall leave I like what Elijah says in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21 as Elijah is is coming to Israel and Israel has fallen into idolatry and he's about to go up against the prophets of Baal and he addresses Israel and says how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. You see, you can't be caught between trying to honor your old family and trying to honor your new family. You cannot serve two masters. You must leave father and mother. 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. And in that context, he's talking about serving God and money. But it is true in marriage. You can't serve your mother and father and your spouse. You cannot have it both ways. You will be torn as to who you're going to serve, and you cannot be happy in that. Point number three is we have been given the model for the complete family. For he says, a man shall leave his father and mother. It says in Genesis chapter 1, father and mother. Talking the complete family. In a day and age where our society wants to reinvent what the family is from the beginning. In reading Genesis chapter 1, how many times do we read, after its kind? For God had the perfect model from the beginning. And when man says, I have a better way, you can rest assured that it will end in disaster. He has been given the perfect model. Oh, and I know it doesn't always work out. Sometimes sickness ends in death. Sometimes parents are forced to raise a child as a single. But from the beginning, God gave the perfect model, and we should not seek to invent something new. The man and the woman will next form a new family. It says that he will hold fast. You see, God did not make from the beginning another provision for marriage. He didn't make a plan B for marriage. He intended when a man and a woman married, it would be for life. And if we backed all the way back up to the beginning for mature thinking, when a man and woman decide they are going to marry, they need to have it in their mind that this is for life and should think long and hard about that proposal they are about to enter into. For it can't be like the person who's bringing the car back to the salesman and says, I'm tired of this model, give me a new one. It's worn out because I abused it. I'll take a new one. It simply cannot be. For God intended to hold fast to this. And Adam said in Genesis 2.23, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And simply because I'm not Adam and she's not Eve, that my rib was taken to make her, but I still think the different. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I will treat her with honor and respect all my days. Point number five, the new mate is the compliment. When I say compliment, I'm not talking about compliment with the eye, like, my, but she looks lovely, but a compliment in that we fit one another. We are part of one another. We complete one another. His wife. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. You see, if we look at the how the world was created, God had made man his last creation. And in all of creation, in all of the beasts, all of the animals, of all of the birds, there was male and female. They had their mate. But the last creation, God created Adam and said, he is not complete. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I will make him a mate that will complete him. Not that he should rule over her or step on her, but she will be his equal and stand next to him. And he shall stand next to her. We shall be equal in this. God has created a helper, his wife. 
like to read a passage from Proverbs 31. Beginning in verse 10, it are 22 verses, and we have all the time in the world to read about the value of the wife. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. For her profit, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds a spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is a law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her father also, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. That's how I view my wife. I raise her up to that level and is the one who completes her. I want her to be in every way what this talks about. And if you will, a woman cannot achieve this unless she has the help of her husband. Why is it that in verse 23 her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land? Because she completes me and makes me all that I can be. And I complete her by making her all that she can be. And it only can happen when a husband and wife work together and give everything that they have. I believe she's more beautiful today than she ever has been. That's my personal opinion. But I digress. Our sixth point is marriage is a process of growth. You see, when we sat in the audience, when the preacher began, dearly beloved, we are gathered here, we understand they are taking a journey together. And that journey is going to be a long and winding road of growth. For no one who is married on the first day knows everything. For when it says, the two shall become it is making reference to what they can become and with all the patience that they can muster. I have put things to consider and just below that point says, I am committed to growing and maturing as a spouse by learning these things. You see, I have to extend myself and realize that it is up to me to bring growth and progress to the marriage. Paul says in Colossians 3, 18 through 19, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And if we stop right there, we have, we have shortchanged ourselves. Because then Paul says in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. The growth process. Paul tells Titus in Titus 2, verses 4 through 5, he says, for, he says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You see, they have to be taught. Men and women have to be taught how this happens. That is part of the growing process. You see, 
children aren't going to learn this on their own. And unfortunately, our culture wants to teach them based on our media of what a marriage is. And if you're learning marriage from television and the internet and radio and sitcoms and movies, you're in a world of hurt. Children must learn it in their own homes. Because it's one thing to be told. It's another thing to see the model that is given to them. And finally, in point number seven, the two are no longer separate. They become one flesh. And here's the pattern that Paul gives us. And he's going to use a term here, and he's going to call it a great mystery. And for many of us, marriage is a great mystery. Amen? It is. I wake up many times and think, this is still a mystery to me. I don't know how I could be so stupid. That was my outside voice, wasn't it? Oh. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does a church. For we are members of his body, as his flesh and his bones. And listen to this verse that Paul quotes again. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The exact words that Jesus told the Pharisees. And he continues in verse 32. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, the model that was stamped and indelibly given for us is the model of Christ and the church and what he was willing to give for himself. And many times as I close here, I use the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I can't count the number of times that I have been to a wedding, not only as a spectator, but also as one who presides over it. And people have requested that this passage be read. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And if we skip down to the last verse of that chapter, it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love in marriage. I wrote an article in last week's bulletin in which one of the points, the things that I don't know, is I don't always know how a sermon, my own sermon that I preach, is going to affect me. And trust me, when I studied and prepared for this lesson, and even as I present it, and I read this and think, I have a long ways to go in my marriage. But I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else but my wife. And I am grateful that I have someone that is as patient as she is. Because I have such a long way to go. Our lesson today is complete. And I hope that you will think upon these things. For no matter where you're at in the journey, if you are contemplating getting married, if you think that one day you'll get married, or if you are married, or if you have been married and know people that are going to get married, all along this journey, Christ's verse 
when he says, but from the beginning, this is how it was. And consider that it's not too late. Far too often, some of the saddest words that we could hear aren't, well, my computer's broken, I have to get a new one. Well, my car is a piece of junk, I have to get a new one. But the saddest words that I hear are, my marriage is over and there's nothing I can do. With man, these things are impossible sometimes, seemingly. But with God, all things are possible. You see, through grace and mercy and forgiveness and above all love, marriages can be repaired. And I hope that as we think upon this lesson today, wherever you're at in the journey, if there's anything that you need help in, the greatest example that we have been given is Christ in the church. For he loved the world so much, God gave his son for us and establish the church as the great model for marriage. Whatever your need is today, we stand ready to help in any way that we can as we stand and sing. I would sing,